When you are sufficiently greeted, you may be seated. Well, that's kind of poetic, wasn't it? I got it, I got it going on. <laughs> so where are we spiritually? And how did we get here? Let me do a little summary. By the way, these answers were so good. In this, I'm not sure you need a sermon because, because they really did touch on the main points of this. Of this um, but since we're all here, I'll, I'll, I'll say something. Remember the first of the year, I began by saying, I believe that God wants you to have absolutely the best year you've ever lived in your life. But I said, there's a catch to it. If you're gonna have the best year you've ever lived, you've gotta live differently, or you'll just have the same year you've always lived. You're gonna have to do something, be someone that you've never been before. And then I talked about the vision of Christ. The vision of Christ is to build a church that will break the powers of hell, both in this world and in our life, in your life. Remember what he said when he looked at Peter and Peter said, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter offered this personal confession. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you're my savior. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for such has been revealed to you not by flesh, but by the Spirit of God. And on you, on that confession, on everyone who makes that confession, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the vision of Christ, the vision of Christ for us is to build a church that busts up hell in the world and in our lives now. There's one building block for that church. There's one, the Bible calls it the living stone, a living stone. And that is a disciple of Jesus Christ, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, someone who walks with the power of Christ in his life and acts as a venue for Christ in this world. That's the building block, a disciple. And so we, in these months and years, are going to teach you how to be and make disciples. It's that simple. Christ will do all the rest. We don't have to build it. Christ builds it. But Christ will do all the rest. And he even does the disciple part because he transforms you. Now remember, the basic building blocks as we, as we um, are going through uh, the book together, becoming a disciple. Many of you are going through that with us. Remember, so far we've got, we have to know what our message is. Our message is, this is called in, in Greek, it's kerugma, our proclamation. Um, in, in, in common language, it's called the gospel. It's what we proclaim. We proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that God has sent the long-awaited Savior. Now, Savior this is, I hear people just mulling, what's a savior? I tell you what, when you're about to take a bullet and somebody jumps in front of you and takes the bullet, that's the savior. You're about to go to hell. You're about to have to pay for your sins. Somebody jumped in your place and took that bullet. And so a savior is someone, listen to this, who by his death nullifies both the penalty and power of sin in your life. That's your savior. Nullifies both the penalty and power of sin in your life. Now watch this. 
He didn't just die, he rose again. He rose again to walk with us and live with us, being a living presence in our lives so that we could bring heaven on earth through what he is doing in our lives and we could tell others about this wonderful gospel, about this wonderful savior, so that they could have what we have because anyone who trusts in Christ has forgiveness of sins and a brand new life. That's our message. But then we also said, watch this, we, we won't stay with it very long unless we're surrounded by a community of people who will encourage us and sustain us and have our backs. We were meant for relationships. God himself is a relationship. And he made us in his image, made us for relationships. And so if we have this walk with Christ, we need to be surrounded by others who walk with Christ. That's called a spiritual family. That's what Christ formed when he was down here. The other disciples to walk along with, all right? You need that exact same thing. You need people in your life who will have your back, who will develop you. You know, but God's words to Adam, when he put him into the garden, he said, the, the Hebrew was Avad and Shamar. I want you to develop it and protect it. Develop it and keep it, cultivate it and keep it. We need to do the same thing with each other. To develop out of each other what we ourselves would never produce by ourselves. And to protect each other. To sustain each other from the blows of the world. To lift each other up as we go along. All of us need that. That's what baptism is. Baptism isn't simply... Um, um, a outward and visible sign of being, of, of being dead to the old world. Notice that uh, you can see this in Romans 6. Being buried to your old life and being raised to a new life. Baptism is coming up out of the water and joining a new community. That's what baptism is. It's becoming a part of a new believing community. And then last week, Pastor Jeff talked to you about the Didache. You know, in the ancient church, they had a teaching. That's what Didache means. Didache simply means, we get the word didactic from it. It's simply a teaching. But it's a very practical teaching. Because we need to apply to our lives what we believe. We need to behave what we believe. And so we need a teaching that will help us apply this to our everyday lives. Now, all of us, Pastor Jeff said, and he's absolutely right, have been taught how to live by somebody. The question is, who taught you and how did they teach you how to live? It's God who needs to teach us how to live. And there's an ancient teaching. If you stick with us, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on every one of these areas. We, we will help you in your life to apply the Didache. Parati says, Parati said, this is basically seven principles of the Didache, seven areas of life. And we'll just skim over these today because this is a longer conversation. First area is to reform personal conduct. Second area is what virtues ought to be exemplified in your life if you're following Christ. Third is family relationships. Fourth is Christian community relationships. Fifth is behavior toward non-believers. Sixth is relationship to authorities, government. And the seventh is watchfulness and responsibility because the Lord could come at any time and the devil will come every time. 
And so we're going to teach you all that. But here's what I want to tell you. You can't do this list. I know, I know Americans. As soon as they get a list, I'm going to do the list. I, I'm going to do the list. Guess what? You can't do the list. Because if you could do the list, you'd all be holy right now. You don't even need, you just come in and say, I don't, I'm pretty good like I am. You know, some of you are saying that, but you're badly mistaken. <laughs> we can't produce in ourselves goodness or holiness. Only God can do that. God meant for us to be dependent on him every day, not just for salvation after we die, but every day we live. And that's why we have a verse like is our text today. So if you have your scriptures, I want you to get them out. If you've got a writing utensil, I want you to take some notes here. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start with the second verse first. Because I want you to see a dichotomy. Because that's what it has. It's a dichotomy. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Now conformed, the Greek word here is schema. And it means shaped. In other words, it means shaped by this world. This word, this word, by the way, this verb is in the present imperative. Don't keep getting put into the world's mold. That's what it means. Don't keep getting put, not just you, but your faith. Don't let your faith be put into the world's mold of what they think your faith ought to look like. Let me tell you a story. This is kind of entertaining. Do you know that there are square watermelons? Seriously. Google it. Square watermelons. In Japan, they produce, there's this town that's famous for producing square watermelons. They raise watermelons in, in these translucent components, the, 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 it's plastic squares. And they raise them and the watermelons take the shape of the square. Now you say to yourself, why would you want a square watermelon? Seriously. Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're easier to store and easier to ship. They have shaped the watermelon according to the value of its marketer. Okay? Could I just say to you, the world will do exactly the same thing with your faith if they can, if you let them. You know? Oh, we love Christians, good people. Just not the kind of Christians. I mean, I mean, give me Christianity, but don't give me anything that has its own shape. I, I want it for compartments in my life. I want a Christianity that makes me feel good. I, I, I want a God that gives to me. I want a God that, that doesn't require sacrifice. I don't want a God that offends me. I don't want a Christian that just will say stuff that, that just makes me, you know, feel bad about myself. I don't want a God where you've got to give money or time or I've got to act any different than I want to act. I don't want that kind of God. That's a cultural Christianity. And you know why the culture wants us to have that kind of Christianity? Because it's easier to put on the shelf. Easier to store. Easier to ship to somebody else and doesn't take up a lot of room. It's a consumer Christianity. That's not the kind God wants. It says, don't continue to be squeezed into the world's mold of Christianity. Don't do that. Then it goes on to say this, be transformed, continue to be transformed. And this is, this calls for effort. This word here is, is morphe. 
Morphe is you, you change, but you change into what you were really meant to be. We get the word metamorphosis from it. Probably the most famous example is when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. It changes pretty radically, but it changes into what it was meant to be. And only the Spirit of God can do We can't do that. Caterpillar doesn't say, what's this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze myself out some wings here. I'm going to go from ugly to pretty. What's this? No. It just lets God transform it. And that's what, and that's what this means. We've got to let God transform us. But we do that by what I'm about to tell. But before we go there, let me tell you, this isn't an easy choice. This calls for constant effort on our part. We do have a part in this. And the effort isn't that we make ourselves holy. Our, the effort is that we put ourselves in God's hands. There's a huge difference there. The effort is that we train our minds to focus on him. And we become a part of his story, not a part of the culture's story of what is valuable. Becky and I went to Paris last week and, and I had a, a, a lot of meetings that had to do with values-based banking. Uh, and so I didn't get out a lot, but, but we got out just a little bit and we went um, to um, one of my favorite places. Um, that I'd ever wanted to go to, and that's the Louvre. The Louvre is one of the most magnificent uh, art museums. For, for a, a long time, it was the royal residence, and then they built this wonderful museum around it. It's just one of the premier art museums in the entire world. And, and we only had a few hours there because I was, I was in meetings most of the time. But while we were there, we saw two very contrasting values, contrasting values. The first is, we saw the apartments of Napoleon III. Um, again, it was a royal residence for, for a long time, and, and, so you, and, and one, of the, one of the residences was this apartment in the Louvre that's been, now been built around. I just want to show you, and these aren't very good pictures because they're from my cell phone, but this is his parlor. Gold, chandeliers, Velvet, you know. We went from his parlor to his dining room. That's pretty much your dining room, isn't it? It's just, you know, you just have a few chairs sitting around a table there. Um, and you look up and this is the, this is the uh, ceiling of the dining room. And then you go into the throne room. Someplace, I'm sure you have in your, in your house. Oh, that's a dark picture. I'm sorry. Um, it's much lighter on here. But, but basically, don't you have a little throne in your house for where you receive guests? You know, and this has an N in the middle of the, had an N in the middle of the, of the chair, you know. I tell you what, when you go through these apartments, you think to yourself, what would it be like to have this kind of wealth? What would it be like to have this kind of power? What would it be like to be someone with that kind of elevation? Well, that's in the Richelieu ring, wing. And then you go into the, the Denon wing. And the Denon wing has all of these masterpieces, all of these great masterpieces. This is the hallway. All up and down are, are, are masterpieces that, that basically dwarf 
you know, uh, the onlooker. Um, it, it's, it's from all of the, of the great artists. But you, you, you begin to notice, and, and most, of, most of it are all about the Bible stories. They're all pictures of, 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 of the great heritage of the unfolding of the Bible, uh, unfolding of God's presence on this earth. But it's not just on this earth. If you keep looking at these pictures, you keep seeing a theme. In this, for example, this very famous um, um, picture of the, of the um, crucifixion, you, you can see these halos, this inbreaking of this heavenly light around the heads of those who attend the cross. The same thing with the birth of Jesus. You see all of the world that's broken. You see the animals, you know, the earth as it is. But hovering right above, you see the angels. And you see this little breakthrough of the scene where the Holy Spirit is. Because earth is a part of heaven. We just sang that, didn't we? Earth and heaven, come down, come down come down. And we, we pray that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They had that sense. They had that sense. Let me give you another one. This is the crucifixion scene. Of course, you see the awful things that are you know, the, 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 the um, gambling for the robe, the awful cruelty of the crucifixion. But the artist couldn't let this awful scene go without letting you see what was happening in heaven. Without this breakthrough, this peeling back of what was on earth to see at the same time what is happening in heaven. And that's the spirit of Christ entering into eternity. Let me show you one more. <laughs> this is David and Goliath. You can see that huge, big old head with a stone mark, you know? Let me ask you a question. Is that how you picture David? That's not how I picture David. I want to show you something here. He's got a French hat on. <laughs> David's got a French hat on. I never pictured David with a French hat. Until I understood this, that the artist wanted to be a part of the story. The artist wanted to be a part of the story. And so here's the dichotomy. Which story will you be a part of? Which story do you want to be a part of? Which kind of wealth do you want to have? What kind of power do you want to have? Let me show you one more scene. It's a place my wife showed me momentarily because while I was in these meetings, she got with another lady, a friend of ours, um, um, and they went to this place. Now, let me ask you what you think this is. The title is Galleria Lafayette. This is a shopping mall. Doesn't it look like a cathedral? Do you know why? Because this is people's religion. This is many people's religion. This is where their value is at. And I just want to challenge you with this. There was a time when France was the cradle of what is expansive and majestic and worshipful about Christianity. It's not that way anymore. 
There was a time when this country had a great enlightenment, several great enlightenments where the gospel spread all over. I want you to, I want you to just ask yourself, is this where we're headed? Where the mall is our place of worship? Just ask yourself. Because that's what this verse is about. This verse that, that basically says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now watch this. By the renewing of your minds. What does that mean? It's very, very simple. It means that we, by our intention, refocus on the true God and what will bring us close to the true God. It is a deliberate intention that we have to nurse. Because to be quite honest with you, there is a battle going on inside of us. It's the battle of the flesh against the spirit. Let me, let me read to you, this isn't, I didn't get, uh, do this because I, before I preach to you, I say just, Holy Spirit, bring up scriptures. That, that, that they need to hear while I'm preaching. And he does it. And he does it differently with every, every service. And so I have some scriptures I know I'll go to. And there are some scriptures I don't know are coming up. They just kind of come up by the Spirit. But let me read to you um, Galatians chapter 5. And I'll start with verse 17. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. And it goes on to, 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 to kind of name all of those areas that will take us over if we let them. You know, it, it names immorality and sensuality. It names idolatry and strife and enmity and, and anger and, and covetousness and, 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 and so on and so forth. All of those things that, that tempt all of us with every circumstance to think, I'll feel better if I do this. I'll be fulfilled if I do this. But you know when you do that, not only do you not feel better, but you are emptier than when you started. And when that pattern becomes established in your life, it becomes a stronghold, what the Bible calls a stronghold. Now there's a difference between a sin and a stronghold. A sin is something you give into for a moment's impetuous decision. But a stronghold is a pattern of sin that you don't go to, it comes to you. It captures you. It holds you in captivity. That's a stronghold. That's hell. That's hell. And I just told you about this church that wanted to break the powers of hell. Well, let me tell you how to do it in your everyday life so that you're free forever. First of all, you need to know you can't do it by yourself. This, the powers of the flesh can't be broken by the flesh. The natural man can't be overcome by the natural man. Duh. It's got to it's be overcome by the power of God. 
This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You remember when Jesus described John the Baptist? John the Baptist was, he was one of the strongest guys around. Boy, John the Baptist would preach in your eyebrows and get singed, you know? Just hellfire, damnation, here, stand back on the... This is, what, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. That which is born of women, no one stronger. But then he continued, but the least in the kingdom of God is mightier than he. Why did he say that? Because it was somebody who was dependent on God's strength instead of his own. The weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the simple order of God. It's in Colossians chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 3, and I'm going to start out with verse 1. You don't have it up there, but I'm going to read it to you. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, by the way, I want to get something straight because, because people don't usually think this way. People usually think, I have a body and I'm trying to make it holy. <laughs> I am a body, and I'm trying to become a spirit. No, if you've been raised up with Christ, you are a spirit that happens to have a body. Your identity has been switched out. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, um, 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. You are a spirit with a body. That is your identity. And so this is what it says. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then in the second verse, this is the same present imperative. Keep setting your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. If you get up every day, and your life is, okay, what am I going to get done today? That's going to be your life. And you get frustrated because you won't get it all done every day. And you have people interrupt you. And you'll resent them. Because they're getting in your way. <laughs> God sends you people, you go, get out of here, I got things to be done. You know? But if you get up every morning, you say, God, I got things to do. But I tell you, I want, him, I want you right in the middle of every one of them. I have conversations I know I need to have. I need you to go before me in this conversation. I need to depend on you in this conversation. I got things. I'm going to be surrounded with people who need to see you. They don't need to see me. They need to see you. They need to be loved like they've never been loved. They need to see someone who's honest, who has integrity. That's who they need to see. I need you to be with me. If you seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth, you'll have a whole different life. It doesn't eliminate the things that are on earth. It just puts them in perspective. And it makes them of use to the kingdom. The earth isn't a bad place. Jesus Christ came down to the earth. This is part of the kingdom. But you have to be a venue of the kingdom. Because the earth doesn't have that character in itself. And you've got to realize who you are. 
who I am. We're spiritual, we're heavenly beings. We are heavenly beings. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you ever want to know, by the way, what happens when you die, what happens to your body, go to 1 Corinthians 15, it tells you. You know, you ever had anybody you love died? Wonder what happened to them. It says right here, right here. I'll, I'll read a little bit more than the verse on your screen. It says it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. I want you to know this isn't only after you die. This has, this has um, implications for, for when you're raised up out of the water. When you're, when you're, when you're baptized, you know? You have a, you, you have now have a spirit. You're, you, you have a physical, you have a physical and a spiritual body. Now watch. It says, if there was a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, they're talking about Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. You have that in you. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. And now here's verse 48. As is the earthy, so are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. That's us. We're the heavenly. You gotta, you gotta keep remembering who you are. You're the heavenly. You're the venue for God down on this earth. And so therefore, it's very important that we continue to submit ourselves. I urge you therefore, brethren, to admit, submit your, 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 yourselves, your, your, your bodies as living and holy sacrifices. Here I am, God. Somebody once said, the problem with the living sacrifices is it keeps crawling off the altar. And that's true. That's true. But you've got to crawl back on. You've got to have the presentation to God. God, I, I want to be close to you first. Everything else, seek ye first the kingdom of God. All the other things will be added. But first things first. And when it says renew your mind, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What's it talking about? There are certain things you know is going to bring you closer to God. You know it is. The Bible's told you. Read scripture. Any amount. The scripture is living and active. It's a life that enters into you. No matter how much of it you understand with your brain, a life enters into you. Pray. Whether you're hearing anything yet or not. Talk to God. Turn to God. Give. Oh, here's something you do. Oh, I don't. Do you know, my friend um, um, Robert Morse uh, from Gateway Church says, God made a, a, a string to directly attach your heart and your wallet. Now I know you're thinking, oh, I knew to get to it. I knew to get to it. Church just wants our money. We're doing okay. This is, this is an emergency. This is, you want to put God first? You're not going to do that without giving to him. 
Jesus said, where your, where your treasure is, there's your heart. Anywhere you put your money, that's where your heart's going to be. Period. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a human dynamic. I will love what I invest in. Period. You want to get close to God? Give to God. You want to get close to God? Hang around people who are close to God. Duh. I mean, don't you love being around somebody who just loves God? They're not trying to do anything. It's not like, it's not about you. They just love God. I love being around people like that. They're not trying to impress me. They're not trying to get me in a different place spiritually. They just love God. Do you know what happens to you? I, I've got to quit. I've talked too long already. I hate this. Come back for more. But I, I'll just close with this. Let me tell you what happens physiologically when you refocus on God continually. And then I'm going to tell you spiritually and then I'm going to sit down. Physiologically, you literally rewire your brain. In our patterns of living, we have created certain neural pathways that every time we face a certain condition, a certain um, um, stimulus that calls for a response, we have neural pathways that our brain automatically goes to. But those are malleable. Those are changeable. When you renew your mind, you are creating, when you refocus on the things that will bring you close to God and prioritize, you are creating new neural pathways. You begin to have the mind of Christ. You begin to think spiritually and not according to how you've been taught to think, the world taught you to think. So you, you have, a, you have a, a rewiring physiologically of your mind. And let me tell you what happens when that happens. Strongholds in your life break away. Strongholds in your life break away. Let me tell you something about my life. This is the truth. I have no strongholds left in my life. It's because for decades, I have faithfully gone back and, and, and asked God to transform my life so that I would think first of Him. Doesn't mean I have no temptation. I have to ever be vigilant but I have no areas that hold me prisoner anymore. Hell has been broken in my life and it can be broken in yours. Whatever you normally relapse to, whether it's hate, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whatever the world has taught you will relieve your emptiness, will relieve your pain. It's a lie. Nothing will do that but God. Nothing will do that but God. And when you renew your mind, when you continue to renew your mind, you will prove what is good and acceptable and perfect by the way you live. Pray with me. God, thank you for this scripture. Apply it to our minds that we might not grow shallow. Apply it to our hearts that we might not grow cold. And apply it to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.